0: Hello and welcome. This is Parenting for the Everyday. I'm Becca Alvarez. And I'm Holly Dykandrew. We are two moms currently down in the trenches of parenthood. We want to create a community of support and encouragement as we set out to find the answers to the parenting questions that everyone is asking. From the easy stuff to the hard stuff, we want to talk about it all. Uh, Today's episode is a little bit different than our previous episodes. Uh, One thing that we want to do is create space for a conversation. And so one of the most discussed topics is picking an education path for your child. Uh, There are so many different types of schooling out there. How do you know which is the right one uh, for your kid? And so starting today, we're going to do a two-part series, just kind of uh, cracking the tip of the iceberg here, um, talking about two of the main categories of schooling options. So certainly this is not all of them, but just two big ones. And that is private Christian education and public schooling. And so today, we are going to talk about uh, private schooling. But before we dive in, we just want to, again, recognize that every child is different, different needs, different struggles, and strengths. And so this is not a one-answer-fits-all scenario. We just want to bring perspectives from both sides of the spectrum in order to help you process what is best for your individual child. So today,
1: we have Matt and Sarah Coons joining us. Matt and Sarah, tell us about who you are and a little bit on your background.
2: Great. I'll start. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, for those of you who don't know, I currently serve as our the kids director here at Christ Community Chapel, and that's a lot of fun. I like doing that quite a bit. I love being able to introduce kids to Jesus, how much he loves them, wants to have a relationship with them, and just help them grow in their faith. So love my job, love the privilege um, of serving at the church. It's great. Um Matt, do you want to say what you do or do you want me to I would love yourself? to.
3: <laughs> um, first of all, thanks for having us on. Not many people have us to think, so this is a real treat. <laughs> um, excited for the ministry that you guys have and thanks so that we can partner together uh, really good. So, uh, as far as role is concerned, I serve as the associate head of school or the headmaster at Cog Valley Christian Academy. I've been there since about 2000. Uh, I've been a teacher, a coach, an administrator for the last see, almost nine years now. And uh, yeah, I've been on staff at CCC as well uh, on the pastoral team and then helped start the Highland Square campus. Mm -hmm. So, wore a few different hats over the years and I've had my foot in ministry worlds and in different ways.
0: Yeah. We are really thankful that you guys are here. Tell us a little bit about your family, kids, uh, current ages, kind of where they are dispersed currently. Right.
2: Uh, so Matt and I, just this past summer, celebrated 25 years of marriage. So, I know, we're a lot older than we sound. (laughs) Uh, but we have four kids. We have twin sons, Noah and Jacob, who recently turned 20, which is (laughs) just
3: weird. (laughs) I, I feel like we were on vacation this summer, and I saw families together with little kids, and I looked at the parents and thought to myself, they can't possibly have kids. They're so young. And then you looked at me and said, I think that's because we're so old. Yeah,
2: I think that's true, (laughs) for sure. Uh, So Noah and Jacob are currently in their second year of college, um, and they're both doing really well with that. And then we have a daughter, Hannah, who's 17. She's a senior in high school, so she'll be graduating. And then our youngest, Naomi, is 12. She's a seventh grader. Um, And because we're on a podcast... Can't see us. I think it's important to uh, say that our twin sons are our biological children, and then our daughters are both adopted. Uh, Hannah is adopted from South Korea, and Naomi from Ethiopia, and uh, adoption is near and dear to our heart. Mm-hmm. So, if you ever have a podcast on that, we'll come back and
0: talk about it. Oh, that. for sure. Oh, for sure. We will. <laughs>
2: um, so, not only do you guys work
1: in Christian settings, specifically Christian education, but you've also made the choice to send all four of your children to Christian education. Mm -hmm. Tell us the reason.
3: Yeah, I can start with that one. So first of all, yeah, we're terribly biased, so uh, we want to kind of begin with that, and this will be a fun conversation. It's a hard conversation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that parents are trying to sort out, and we don't have all the answers, so we kind of come with uh, hopefully a lot of humility in some of the questions that, that you all will be asking um, as I think back to why for our kids, and I'll speak personally and then Sarah can talk for a sec, but um, I think about my own both intellectual and academic trajectory as well as my spiritual trajectory really shaped by my time at Cog uh, Valley Christian Academy. Both Sarah and I are graduates. And I think back to the the teachers and the coaches and these very formative moments that I had. And I think in the end, I, I wanted our kids to have that experience. Um, it feels as though, you know, as, as students um, kind of go through the maturation process and move from childhood, particularly to middle adolescence, the voice of parents tends to get quieter mm-hmm. while a lot of other voices get louder. And so what we wanted... Uh, What I wanted really for the kids is for them to have loud voices uh, of other adults in their lives that were investing in them, that were helping them understand the gospel, uh, that were discipling them, that were helping to shape them educationally and also, um, yeah, in in their walk with Christ.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's not much more I can add to that. I do remember having a conversation with both of my parents to ask them, why was it that they sent my sisters and I to a Christian school. And one of the things I remember my mom saying, and I thought it was important, was that she was like, I was really tired of telling all of you no,
0: Mm.
2: um, that you can't do this, you can't go to attend that. And I wanted to be a parent who was able to say yes more. And so not not to paint a picture where a Christian school is uh, perfect and good and nothing happens (laughs) wrong there or anything like that. But I just think... The opportunities as a Christian parent, especially in the culture that we currently exist in, um, we do, we can just allow our kids to have more experiences, say yes to things um, because of the Christian school and what that represents and that they have the same values, worldview, things like that, that but we do.
0: I hear you guys saying a lot of really good and awesome things that are going on, but I do want to have a real conversation and give you guys space to maybe tell um, some of the challenges that maybe you have run into with Christian education.
3: Yeah, let me add, let me add one more um, thing that I think is pretty important as we've tried to sort this out. Uh, the other day I heard a statistic by the Barna Group that says students uh adolescents are spending about 2700 hours a year on screen time media screen time so as we kind of think about those voices there's kind of this this, this tidal wave of culture and 2700 hours i don't know how they even do that like that's 7 hours a day yeah. you know so what so even if <laughs> even if that's half right um you know some of the questions that we ask ourselves either as a school or as parents is you know, how much time do we get with Mm -hmm. our kids? And then how much time uh, does the church get with our kids? And then how much time does the school get with our kids? And so one of the, I think one of the major benefits of of doing life together in community in a school setting is something that, of course, is highly valued in the culture is we get time. We get a chance to do community together and get Get a chance to retain and redeem some of those hours that mm. we're losing exponentially, kind of in this cultural tidal wave. So, I just wanted to add that as a as one more positive. That I think yeah. s- that's that's pretty important as we try to sort this out. You want to talk about
0: so? But w- so, you're asking the challenges, the hard yeah, things. yeah, just some hard things. I don't want to paint a picture that Christian education is all, like all rosy and butterflies. Oh, there absolutely. are definitely like some challenges and some <laughs> roadblocks. So, just yeah, opening the door absolutely. For that. Um I think one
2: of the things is, and this might just be more of a stereotype or a misconception, but that uh, Christian school will fix your child. Oh, yeah. um, Or that you can send a, a kid who is maybe having issues and you kind of send them there in order for them to be fixed. But I think what is true is that Christian schools are filled of human people teachers and students alike who are going to sin and make not the best decisions. They're doing the best they can, and they're seeking God and all of those things. But I still think things happen. Kids make bad decisions. They then influence other kids. Um, and then maybe a teacher doesn't make the best decision or an administrator. So I do think it's a. I think that's a challenge, um, especially for most of us as parents, and me included, we're hopelessly parental, right? We want to believe the best in our kids and fight for our kids. And so sometimes it's hard to even humble ourselves in a place to submit to authority in that, um, you know, in discipline or whatever it may be. So I think that's definitely a challenge, especially when you maybe go in with certain expectations and then are disappointed, you know, with what comes out of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's all about having realistic expectations, knowing what you're walking into. It's not a perfect environment. It's full of broken people that still are in need of a Savior.
3: Right. And and I think one of the things to add maybe to that is the danger of familiarity. So as we think about, you know, things becoming more and more familiar, which is true of the church. Like, so when Jesus— kind of does his ministry, as you read the Gospels, you see Jesus is really concerned about the individuals, and the crowds often get in the way. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, we might think to ourselves, well, you know, even as a parent, my kids are getting involved in all the right Christian stuff, and that's not to begrudge the Christian stuff, but it can become just kind of familiar. And, you know, being around Jesus isn't the same thing as knowing Jesus. And so, obviously, a danger in a Christian environment, whether that's a Christian school, Christian university, or frankly, even the church, like any ministry, that can be a danger. And as Sarah said, you know, we as parents can come to the table and maybe abdicate our responsibilities, because our primary job is to disciple our kids. Mm -hmm. God has charged us with that. That's a biblical responsibility. That's something that, you know, we hold the mantle of. And yet, we can say, well, the church is going to do this or the school's mm-hmm. going to do this or my counselor's going to do this or grandparents are going to do this mm-hmm. but that's really our responsibility so we have to be careful that we set right expectations and there's no there's no like one to one guarantee so raise up a child in a way you should go and mm-hmm. he will not depart from it that's a that's that's wisdom and wisdom literature is such that it generally happens but it's not a guarantee that that will take place so if a parent comes to the table saying, well, if I do all of these things, then my kid will turn out okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just go back to Genesis 1 and 2, (laughs) and we get to Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve had the perfect father. And so, we can do everything right and still end up with with prodigals. And and yet, we're still called to try to do everything we can uh, to disciple our Mm -hmm. kids. And I would add that that's where, for us, the community is so important. We're not trying to abdicate our responsibilities, but we take that so seriously to say, hey, we just can't do this on our own. We, we're desperate. Number one, we're, we're broken people and we need the Lord, as Paul talks about in Second Corinthians, like we just need the Lord. But at the same time, we also need each other in community to kind of do this well mm-hmm. and disciple our kids.
1: I'm really glad you brought up that distinction because I think that that is one of the arguments against maybe private and Christian schooling is the concern of inoculating the gospel Mm. and making it so familiar that then it loses that power of kind of because— and I'm glad that you brought up that that can happen in a Christian setting across the board, whether that's your school or your church or your youth group. But having this idea that I am saved because I go to these Mm -hmm. things, but not necessarily I'm saved because the gospel has— gone deep and changed me from the inside out. And I think that that can be a difficult thing when you're growing up in so many of those settings. Um, there can be a bit of an immunity that mm-hmm. y- you think that you have. What, what would yeah, you say to that?
3: Yeah. Well, a couple of things. One is, so on the one hand, we have to be really concerned about the individual and not just end up part of the crowd. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's it seems like there's more and more research and folks talking about James K. Smith and his book. Um, Desiring the kingdom talks about liturgies and the importance of liturgies. In other words, the practices that we hold are formative. So while we don't want to just do external things, but um, to, um, but God uses external things at times to try to to shape and form our desires. Like that's what we're ultimately after. We're ultimately after ch- to change and and form. Uh, not just the mind, but also the heart, and so I do think you know God's using those things. So that's where we're we're kind of pushing back against all of the formative things that are happening within the culture. What are ways as parents we can do that for us? One of the tools in the toolbox is just one has been Christian education.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think something to, to to Becca's point is that I think something I really value specifically. I am gonna I am just gonna point out CVCA because that's what I know. Is that they have a very high ac- academic standard as well. So I don't think, I think there is this expectation that kids are able to become critical thinkers. They're actually able to digest the gospel, the truth of scripture, and say, okay, so why is this important? Or why do I believe this? And then by the time they graduate, they actually are kind of have this arsenal or this toolbox in which. They understand why they believe what they believe. And it's not just like, oh, this is, I'm regurgitating what my parents told me or what the churches tell me, but this is actually something I've worked through, I understand it, and now I can have meaningful conversations with other people, especially as they go out to college, wherever that may be. So I think there is, I think those two things go hand in hand, especially when you look at Somewhere like CVCA, I'll do this because Matt probably wouldn't do this, is their kind of mantra <laughs> is like educating and cultivating students for Christ. So that it, those two things really do go hand in hand there. They want to educate, but they also want to cultivate the kids
0: spiritually. And they, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. One of the things I think, Sarah, that you are starting to talk about that that kind of goes with that is one of the biggest reasons that I hear for avoiding Christian education is to not put all the Christian kids in a bubble. And so uh, if all of the Christian kids are in one place, then where is their salt and light in the public schools or in other places? And so kind of how would you guys respond to that?
3: Yeah, first of all, I think it's a misnomer to think that all of the Christians get—all of the students in a Christian school are Christians. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So, just because I know the gospel, just because I conceptually can articulate the gospel, doesn't mean I've been transformed by the gospel. And so, I would say, even at CVCA, we have, you know, 20% of our kids on an annual basis would say they're coming to faith or at least coming to understand the gospel through the ministry of what we're doing at the mm-hmm. school. So, our kids are rubbing shoulders on a daily basis with non Christians. Additionally, I'm always shocked when we ask those kind of questions of our students. They're they're spending time with non Christians, um, and they're they're even sharing the gospel with non Christians in in shockingly high percentages. That probably fare pretty well in comparison to say, maybe even the person in the pew. So those are encouraging statistics mm-hmm. because I don't think the the desire is to kind of just huddle and circle the wagons, kind of a fundamentalist approach, but more of a I would I would maybe liken it to a preparation approach. So rather than separation, it's mm-hmm. preparation for a larger kind of global impact for the sake of the kingdom. And when you think about Christian education maybe more broadly historically, what what we find is almost wherever wherever the gospel is received, the academy and schooling and education tends to follow. So, and, and then if you kind of draw that out even further, God just kind of uses education, and and he and that's I think a, a way for us to to make a, a larger cultural impact. I think as far as the public schools are concerned, again, just one guy's opinion, but I I, th- I think it is important that we're trying to make an impact in the public sector and in the public schools. And I think the primary way of doing that would be educators who are committing themselves to be in those environments, to walk alongside kids who don't know Christ. So in other words, we need great Christian educators in Christian schools, and we need great Christian educators in public schools and in independent schools and in charter schools Mm -hmm. and in private schools across the board. And that's the salt and light Uh, that I would kind of point to as we're preparing students and mid-adolescents to have a a greater impact for the sake of Christ down the road.
2: Yeah, and and to your point, too, I think for, at least for me personally, like I, I, I look at our daughter Naomi, who's 12, who's in seventh grade, and I think, man, is she equipped, is she ready to be in an environment where she owns the responsibility to be salt and light to her friends. I mean, if we look at our Christian faith, we're all going through a sanctification process,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's an unfair expectation for her. Yeah one thing that we haven't talked about that I feel like may be the elephant in the room, uh, is just the cost. So mm-hmm. Christian education is expensive. And so you guys have, have done it for a while. Um, and so talk a little bit about the cost to benefit ratio and maybe the sacrifices that you guys have made and maybe how to help families start thinking about if they are like, maybe I do want to send my kid here. How do they start preparing to make those sacrifices? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's certainly thinking about the long game and there's, there's just a lot of factors. It's complex. So while we're we can sit in this room and talk about all the philosophic stuff and and all of that, I realize um, a lot of folks I talk to, it will come down to finances. It'll come down to, well, I, I don't know how we could ever afford mm-hmm. the tuition. Uh, whether it's you know at whatever level, whether even as you know all of us are thinking about college mm-hmm. and you know what's that going to look like for our kids. So there's a lot of factors involved. I'm grateful for things like in Ohio, like the EdChoice voucher system that really does help families who financially couldn't afford places like CVCA. I'm grateful for tons of academic support, that um, financial support rather, that, that Christian schools offer families. Um, but that being said, it, it is a real sacrifice. And um, I think we as a school, as I think about just our school, we see a lot of families who are making Significant sacrifices to try to make it happen. Uh, in light of some of those other things, that some, some sometimes are able to relieve some of those financial pressures. Um, but it, of course, at the end of the day, we're all asking the same question: like, what's? How do we do this in a way that's best for our kids, and how do we make sure that on the back end of this, knowing that the battle, the cultural battle, is raging, and we all feel it in different ways now, maybe than we did. You know, twenty years ago, and I think as as we look at the landscape of Christian education, it's booming. Like the the enrollments at, at schools across the country is is way up uh, exponentially more. And I think because of that, that stuff that we're just kind of watching generally in culture. And I don't want to be an alarmist, but I, I think we all kind of feel it. And we're trying to figure out what does that mean for our kids, and and how do we respond best as parents. So. It's a great question. I don't know if there are easy answers to the financial side because, um, you know, Christian schools, I think, are trying to do everything they can to to offer a high-quality education. Teachers, administrators, lots of people make financial sacrifices to go into ministry in those ways to create accessibility for families. Um, so it's it's all that stuff that gets uh, thrown in there that's that's challenging.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's practical things. I mean, I think... You value what you're willing to sacrifice for. And so that might be giving up a vacation or, you know, driving a certain type of car or a house, whatever that might be. And I do think what Matt said is is good. It's a it's you're really you're doing this for the long game. It's not this immediate fix as we wrap
1: up is there anything that you would want to tell our audience as like a takeaway from this conversation uh parents that are struggling with these decisions point them in a certain direction
2: anything i would say i it is this is a very personal decision it's even probably within your family um it's can be even um based on specific kids um and so I, I think my biggest advice um to parents would be don't make the decision out of fear. Uh God tells us in the Bible that, you know, that's not in the way that we should conduct ourselves like we we're not our faith isn't based out of fear. Um but you know, pray about it, pray through it, pray about it for your kids. Um But I do think, again, I guess I'll kind of reiterate what I just said. I don't think it's a decision that you'll look back on 15 years and be like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have sent my child to this Christian school. Um, I think the opposite might be true, that you're you're looking back and going, oh, I wish I would have done that. Um, So...
3: Yeah, a lot of the same things. This is a, a massively big decision for families mm-hmm. and parents, and we just realize there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, even at at CVCA, w- we want to be really open handed and come alongside parents and realize that CVCA might be a great place for their kid, and and it might not too. Like parents have a lot of things that they're trying to w- kind of sort through as they come to a you know the best conclusion and a wise and a prudent decision for their family and for their kid um and you know i think our heart is that students would be in the right place for the right time and and you know those are those are difficult decisions and
0: guys we are so grateful for you taking the time and for you being here with us and just unpacking Uh, Like I said, just the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg of the decisions that lay ahead of parents and for walking with them or walking alongside of them through it. So thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. And this is Parenting for the Everyday. Tune
1: in next time.